Hi, this is Justin Wentnick with Learn the Startup. I am here today with Olgi Songolo, CEO and developer of Sports Medicine The Difference Incorporated. This is a patented heelless technology shoe company, which Olgi believes will change the world. Greetings, greetings. My name is Olgi, Olgi Songolo. I am the CEO of Sports Medicine The Difference, and I am the developer of the new innovative disruptive technology of the heelless technology, which is an athletic shoe brand. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'm so excited to hear what you have to share. Sure. So my first question for you is, can you just describe your journey and how you got to this moment in the present? Okay, so I got to step it back for a little bit. The journey actually started back in 1997. Well, actually way back, actually 1992. Um, so originally I'm from Cameroon. Cameroon is in Africa. Um, and my father was coming here to do his studies uh, he's a doctor in medicine sports. He's the one that actually invented the shoe. I just developed it. So <clears throat> pretty much what happened is as an avid runner, he was still getting injured and he wanted to figure out why he was still getting injured, even though he was an avid runner. He was warming up, well, good condition, well in shape, but he was still getting injured. So his curiosity led him to figure out why is there still injuries happening? So he came further on his studies where he did his dissertation in musculoskeletal injuries while jogging at Boston University. And found out that it's actually the shoes that we're wearing that's not allowing our bodies to use the proper mechanism in order to land correctly. And what that means is a lot of people that run are what they call heel strikers. And heel strikers are people that land from the heel, moving from the heel to the toe. Now, for avid runners, they do realize that they're not supposed to land with their heels first because your heel is just a dot. There's actually no shock absorbing mechanism when you land on your heel. Now, the problem is when you're walking, it's not a problem because there's always one foot on the ground when you're walking. However, when you run, you have a time of suspension where both feet are off the ground. And now you have an equal reaction force, at least three times your body weight that is impacting that ground. So imagine every time you are running, you're hitting the heel, you're hitting the heel. Now you start to have your knee problems, lower back problems, flat feet, shin splints, all type of injuries can come about. So my dad said, well, with all these shoes that are out there, how come none of these shoes have been able to solve this problem? So it led him on a research where he did at Boston University and he also did it cross-culturally to see if this was a landing pattern happening to people all around the world. Long story short, it was. Almost 85% of people, if you wanna use a little bit of statistics, are heel strikers. And it's not your fault. A lot of people, even with proper training, you still have natural things that happen to you. For example, fatigue. Fatigue kicks in, lack of conditioning, um, or not conditioning well enough, or previous injuries that have occurred. So he said, well, let's see how we can fix this problem with the shoe. So we tried a couple of things that even now newer uh, companies have tried to do, but it still hasn't solved the issue. So then one day he said, well, why do we even have the heel on the shoe? If we actually remove the heel, that would avoid the person from heel striking. So he took a pair of his shoes, and he literally cut off the heel, put it on, and went out for a run. He came back and was like, wow, this was a great feeling. He wanted to know if this worked for everyone. So he used his first test dummy, his son, me. So I get up in the morning. I'm getting ready to go to school. Now, mind you, we're talking back in the 90s, 1997. So I was still in uh, middle school. So I'm getting up ready to go to school. And I pick up my shoes, and I see no heel on it. Now, imagine what that did to my autonomy. I'm like, I have no heel. Like, Dad, what's going on with my shoes? He should just take it and go to school. So I go to school, of course, everybody's laughing at me like, hey, here goes this foreign guy over here with no heels on his shoes. I came back and he said, well, how did you feel with the shoes? Surprisingly enough, I was comfortable. I felt like they were, I didn't feel any indifference with the shoe. 
So then he said, well, if you felt good, let's see if this works for your sisters and your mother. So guess what he did? He cut off everybody's shoes, heels on their shoes. So we were literally walking around the house <laughs> with everyone with no heels on their shoe. That's awesome. So when he saw that this was something that actually worked, he went on and filed for a patent. He went and got the utility patent for the shoe. Then now it was a decision he had to make. Do I pursue the shoe and go into production and actually put the shoe out to the market? Or do I raise my children? Because I, I was still young. My sisters were, we were all still young. So he said, you know what? I'm going to invest in my children first. So his dream of bringing that shoe into reality was on hold. Fast forwarding now, I graduated undergrad back in 2009 and I was working. And at the time I said, dad, you've had this patent now for a while and you've had this dream of these shoes. What's going on with it? Are we going to ever do something? He said, well, Ogie, I did my part. Your sisters are married. They have kids. You finish college. You're independent. Why don't you take the responsibility of the shoe? So that's what I did. I started doing some research. Now, the first thing that I had to do was I had to create a, uh, like an outsole model of what the shoe can look like because all I had was just this patent design of the shoe. So we did a 3D rendering model of the shoe, which somewhat came out a little bit similar to what the shoe is like now, but it wasn't quite perfect. Only problem with that is it was too expensive. It cost way too much money just to create a 3D rendering model of the shoe. So I said, dad, if we're gonna have to do the shoe, we're gonna have to do a sample. It can't be done here. It's gonna be too. It's gonna be too costly. He said, "Well, find out where we can go and do the shoe, and we'll get it done." So, where's the hub of production of all shoes? Everybody knows it's China. So I started looking up the different companies and factories that were there, and there's over 500 factories. So you can just imagine the type of due diligence I had to do to narrow it down to one specific factory that can actually do it. And the interesting thing about that is there's a time difference. So we're 12 hour time difference. So I have to stay up at 2 a.m. on our East Coast time in order to talk to them at 2 p.m. because that's when they come out of lunch. So I was up every night, well morning rather, at 2 a.m. just to have conversations with different factories that were out there. Finally, I landed on one specific factory. And the reason why I went with them was because they told me, you have to come here in order for us to do this shoot. We've never seen a shoe like this. We don't even know how to start it. And at that point, I said, okay, I'm gonna go with them because they're being honest. So I did the paperwork that I had to do. It was, I, it was me and my designer, got the visas, and here I am in China. Now, this is where it gets quite interesting because Google could not prepare you <laughs> that to, to, to land where I was. I mean, this is, oh, get this, wear this, do this, it is all whole nother ball game when you're actually physically there. The culture, first of all, is a culturally a shock big time between the language, the atmosphere, the, like it was completely different. And it's a communist country, so everything is very controlled. So there's no Google, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter. So I was completely shut out the world. So you can understand that it kind of freaked me out at first because it was like a huge adjustment that I had to get myself to. So fast forwarding, uh, we were supposed to be there initially for three weeks. Here's what happened. My designer comes up to me after being there for probably 10 days, knocks on the door. He says, Ogie, I can't do this. It's a little too rough. Because like I said, the living conditions were a little bit brutal for us over there. So I tell him, I said, don't worry, man. We're almost done. We almost got the sample ready. You can stick it out. He says, okay. Oh, he didn't stick it out. The next day, I go downstairs and I'm waiting for him for breakfast. 
he caught a flight back to Boston. Wow. So he left me there by myself. So now here I am. I end up finishing the first outsole production. I was there for about three weeks at the time. Now, I finished the first prototype and I send it over to my dad. I'm thinking, this is it. We finally got a shoe off the ground. And when I sent it over to him, I said, dad, is this the shoe? And I can hear the disappointment in his voice as he said to me, no, this is not the shoe. I said, what? I said, dad, we were communicating, we were talking. He said, yeah, but this is not the shoe. At that point, I felt a disappointment and it hurt me because he sacrificed everything to ensure that me and my sisters, we all have a good sound education here. So he put his dream on hold. And the fact that I was not able to see, make his dream come true, it hurt me. So I said, called him up five o'clock in the morning, which was my time. I was in China. It was 5 p.m. in the, you know, in Boston. And I said, dad, I'm not coming back to the, I'm not coming back to Boston. He said, what? I said, I'm not coming back. I'm gonna stay here till we get it right. And at that particular point, my mother's in the background, like, what does he mean he's not coming back? What does he mean? And I'm like, nope, I'm gonna stay here. And I cracked the joke. I, I said a little joke. I said, dad, I'm a black man in China. Don't worry, I'll survive. Because that was the one thing that they everybody thought I was like some type of you know, artist or basketball player because they, they don't see black people in that specific region of where I was. So me being there, they was like, this has to be a rapper or some type of musician or some type of athlete. Um, so it kind of worked to my advantage because, you know, that's where my little, my little fame kicked in. <laughs> um, so at that point, I, our only problem now is we didn't have any more money because we burnt a lot of money trying to produce the sample because we have to open up molds for each shoe. And we went through at least five different molds. So we burnt about just on molds ourselves, we burned like almost 7K on just molds. So when he told me that that was not a shoe after seven molds being done, just understand it was disappointing to me too. Now, mind you, I have no experience in developing or designing or production, nothing. So I'm literally going in there and learning as we go, trying to bring a shoe from paper to life. So I said, dad, I'm going to stay here till we get it done. He saw that I was serious and we came together as a family and everybody kind of chipped in. My dad emptied out a couple of his CDs. Mom emptied out some savings. They pulled some money out there, 501k. My sisters pulled out our savings. We all put in the money together and said, okay, Ogie, this is all we got. Let's do something. So the first thing I did when I realized that everybody had poured in their hard earned work money, my parents' retirement money already getting pulled out and they were nowhere near the age of retirement. I said, okay, First thing I need to do is I need to understand, I need to know the basics of this language. So this is what I did. I hired a tutor from the University of Xiamen. Said, I need you to teach me how to speak Mandarin. That's the basics. And so I was learning how to speak uh, Mandarin just to be able to navigate because I needed to know, be able to just do the basics, you know, ask for directions, grab a taxi, water, food, just the basics. Um, yes, no, you know, just the simple stuff. I just needed to be able to understand and kind of articulate and express myself. So I got a tutor and um, I ended up being there for one year. Wow. Yes. Now, throughout the whole time, there was a lot of different events that happened to me uh, while I was there that tested me as a true grit. And for any entrepreneur, the one thing you will understand is the word grit because you can't call yourself a true entrepreneur without having that. Because that's the ability to test yourself to how far are you willing to go to achieve what you want to achieve. So throughout my process that I was there, I got hit by a car when I was riding my bike. I had to get a root canal. We went through some typhoons. 
I lost my relationship because the girl that I was dating at the time, I remember I was only supposed to be there for three weeks. Now I'm telling her I'm in China for a whole year. She can't even come visit me in China because she's a college student. Yep. So things just, just kind of just went downhill for me at one point. And I remember every morning when I was waking up, my routine was wake up, go to the gym, go shower, cry, <laughs> and then call my folks and try to have a happy face and keep grinding it out. Um, and throughout the whole time, I'm very big on spirituality. So I was praying a lot, you know, saying, God, you've allowed me to be here. There has to be a reason why I'm here. And it was quite a, it was quite a journey. Um, it was quite a journey, but I'm happy to say the best feeling in the world was when I was getting ready to come back the last day. I, we were in a rush because my flight was leaving from Xiamen and I got my sample production that we had finished at 3.30 in the morning and my flight was leaving at 5.30. Yes. So I only had enough time to grab it, throw it in the suitcase and jet to the airport. So I could not wear it, try it on or see if there was any, I just had to trust that the shoe was good after a whole year. So when I touched back down to Boston, my parents picked me up from the airport and we head to their house and I pull out the sample of the shoes and I pull it out, I said, dad, this is what we all spent the year doing. Is this the shoe? He looked at it and put it on his feet. He looked at my mom. I remember this like it was yesterday. He looked at my mom. He looked at me and said, this is my shoe. Oh man, you don't understand that joy that it brought to me. He's like, this is my shoe. And once we determined that that was a shoe, then now we said, okay, let's go into production. So now here we are with the difference. And as you can see here, the main key on the shoe is no heel. So this is super cool for people that don't want, that are on their feet for long periods of time and don't want to experience any lower back issues. It's not just for avid runners because a lot of people think that the shoe is just for people that run. No, it, for if you are a runner, you will love these shoes, but even a casual wear or just someone that wants to walk, leisure, active wear, you can put them on. A lot of people like the shoe because number one, it's light than your average shoe, 7.3 ounces with an all rubber outsole. And it gives you that performance based of your posture is aligned. So this is not just a shoe that was just brought up in thin air. This is like pure science that took a lot of engineering and research to get done. So I pride myself on it. And now, and funny enough, we just broke our 100K in sales mark last month. So I'm excited about that as well. Oh, congrats. Um, thank you, thank you. So our biggest thing now is marketing, you know, letting people know that we're here. So trying to get myself into the space of doing more marketing, especially capitalizing on social media. Um, so that's what we're pretty doing. Uh, so that's, that's in a nutshell, the story. <laughs> that's some story. It's really, I mean, it's inspiring. You putting your all into this for an entire year just to get it a prototype to get manufactured. That's incredible. Thank you. So going into then out of college, you know, your dad had this idea. Did mm -hmm. you know that this is what you were going to be doing with your life? Were you planning on going and working and working with uh, manufacturers? No. Were you planning on not at all? No, my, 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 my degree in undergrad is in general rehabilitation. I was planning on working and teaching. I love to teach. So I wanted to teach. I wanted to go back and do my master's in education. I ended up getting an MBA, which makes sense because I'm in business. So I figured, let me give it and get an MBA. So 
I ended up doing my MBA instead of doing my master's in education, but it was a complete shift from what I was doing. Because when I graduated, while I was looking for a job, I became an instructor trainer for the American Red Cross. So I was teaching people health and safety, teaching them CPR first and then AED. And again, like I said, I like to teach. So that was actually a good form of experience for me. The transition from going to that into manufacturing and developing, it literally was something that I had to learn as I went. And like I said, living in China for that whole year, it got me introduced to that. I mean, I can run you through a whole entire production line. I know how to use the machines. I know how to lash the shoe. I can tell you what materials they made of, the cost. Like now I've gotten to a point where people sit there just be like, oh, yeah, I'm about to buy these shoes. What do you think? And now I'm like, well, you could buy mine or you could buy that. So yeah, it was a complete shift. And I think that, you know, when I, I get asked this question a lot by a lot of people that do interviews is, you know, was there a breaking point or a point of time where you felt like you couldn't do this anymore? And I said, yeah, every day. <laughs> that was every day, every single day. But what kept me going was, again, it was beyond me. I looked beyond myself. I saw my, my parents. I saw the benefit that this can help people around the world that are having these issues with their backs, their you know, flat feet, plantar fasciitis, all of this. And I said, this product can help them. So if I want to quit, I'm doing a disservice, not just to myself and to my family, but to the world. And if this is the little piece of thing that I can leave behind as a legacy, then that's my motivation. So I always tell people, people think drugs are the big other, are like, you know, the biggest thing that is like addictive to. I'm like, no, motivation is more addicting than any drug because when you're motivated to do something, it gives you a whole nother sense of drive that you did not even know you had. Because it, I, I saw a part of myself that I never knew I had, the grit. Someone told me you'd be speaking Mandarin <laughs> two years ago. I'd be like, for what? No, never. Now it's second nature to me when I'm speaking to my suppliers back in China, we have conversations in Mandarin. It surprises me sometimes. But yeah, it was definitely a, a, a shift of change, but then it was one of those things where it had to happen. And given the fact that, you know, out of my sisters, I'm the one that's not married or has any kids, I didn't have any direct responsibility. So I had the time to focus and learn a new trade. Well, I love that. So flipping to the present day, can you elaborate a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? So when orders come in, we have a whole process now. We have a fulfillment center. So the order comes in, the fulfillment center gets it done. They send me a copy of it. I go onto the chart board and I update it. So I track how inventory is going to see what colors are selling the best, what sizes are selling the best, so that when we go into production again, I know what to order more of. So that's one of the things that we've started doing. We're heading more into doing a lot of um, uh, exposure. So now we're spending a little bit of capital now into you know Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram posts, getting features, uh, doing a couple of uh, you know spotlight posting, interviews here and there. So right now, our biggest thing that we have to focus on is marketing, because now a lot of people don't know that this, this product is out here. So we have to infuse a lot of capital now to market the product. So that's our biggest challenge, um, especially doing this without any, we took in no loans, no debt, no investors. We've done this strictly just ourselves, uh, which we pride ourselves on that. But now we're getting to a point where we have to start to infuse more capital to get that exposure so that it can give us our return of investments. 
Um, so my day-to-day -day basis is doing these, um, handling emails, dealing with my supplier because we're getting ready to launch out an all black version. And so I was supposed to be traveling this month. I don't know how that's gonna work with everything happening. Um, but the good thing is we can still go into production because they'll still be able to send samples over for me to approve. So um, that's my day-to-day -day basis. I'm mostly on Zoom meetings, like, like such, talking to my supplier. Um, we, we have a board meeting, which is my family. It's me, my dad, my three sisters, and my mother. So we meet up every two weeks to discuss what we can do collectively, how to scale the business, how to grow the business, talking to consumers to ask them what they like about the shoe, what don't they like about the shoe, give us a review because this helps us know what to improve on the shoe when we go into a second line of production. Um, so that's pretty much that. And then lining ourselves up with strategic partners. So now we're at a point where we're talking to some investors, um, but you have to be very careful not to just say, I just want this investor for money. You have to find an investor that actually sees the potential of the company and can bring also something into the company besides just his capital to allow the company to scale it's a relationship i call it a second marriage you know when you bring in an investor so you have to really understand that you have to bring in a partner that sees the vision understands the vision and is willing to go that journey with you so that's my day-to-day -day. and i make sure i cut in some exercise in between there it's very important to find time for you because it can get overwhelming at times to be honest yep so a lot of just the working with suppliers work with manufacturers dealing with the running of the business right now mm -hmm. and then so I guess I'm sort of wondering, I know you're going to say a lot, but what do you wish you knew before you first started your company? Is there anything in specific? I wish I had an advisor before I started. Um, I got one during the process, mm -hmm. um, but I wish I had an advisor. I wish I had a little bit of knowledge in, in production or a, or a background in it, something. Because like I said, a lot of the capital that we spent could have been saved with having just the basic knowledge you know for example making a, a mold each outsole of a mold is two thousand five hundred dollars so imagine if you do an outsole and it's not the outsole that you wanted that's money down the drain um and if i had like a mentor someone that already had done shoes or was in the type of facility of manufacturing that would have helped me and cut a lot of costs down um so that because all my mentors that I actually found, I found them while I was in China. Because, you know, like I said, it's, a, it's the hub. That's where the hub of sneakers are done. So a lot of mentors that I got, I got them while I was in China. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why, like, I mean, I was learning. I didn't know nothing about shoes. Let's be real. So from the testing to vamp, to last, to cooling, to assembly, to stitching, I had mentors on each phase of production. And is it, I just said it was God's work because everyone was coming to me at the specific time that I needed them. Because I messed up the first prototype because I didn't know anything about shoes. I just looked at a shoe and said, I want it to look like this. But with the uniqueness of what our shoe has and what it does, I had to know and I had to educate myself and have someone also help me to know how to produce the right shoe. So, you know, I will definitely urge entrepreneurs, especially if you're, not, you're going into a field that you're not too familiar with, Find someone that is familiar with that field, a mentor, an advisor, because that can help you a lot, especially to cut costs down when it comes financially, because it could get quite expensive. Um, educate yourself a little bit in the product. 
because I wish I had I have, like the knowledge that I have now. If I had that when we were in production, oh, dude, we would have cut. We would have saved at least twenty grand. Wow. Yeah, That's a lot. You know, but it was an experience worth it. Learned the language. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big one for me. Navigating was a big one. I ended up buying a bicycle because I was sick and tired of paying a taxi every single day from one factory to the next. And mind you, they were not even that far apart, but I knew that the taxi drivers, since they knew I was a foreigner, they were kind of taking me along for a joyride and I'm paying like 10 bucks for literally a two minute drive. So I got a bike and I just started asking my supplier to show me the routes and I started memorizing landmarks. That's how I was navigating around. So I would ride my bike and I said, okay, that's the lady that sells the donuts every day. So when I see this lady with the donuts, this is where I got to take a right. So that's how I was navigating through everywhere because I couldn't read. I could speak the language. I was very like, I was getting to a point where I was fluent, but I couldn't read. So yeah, that's that. So what do you think has been the key to your success this far? Determination, not quitting. Determination is a big deal. It's very easy to quit, especially when you don't see progress happening. Um, like I said, grit, having grit, a strong support system between my advisors, my spirituality connection to God, my parents. Um, that was something that motivated me and kept me going, determination and grit. Uh, and also when you get feedbacks, you know, it's, it's so exciting when you hear a customer say, for 20 years, I've had back problems and I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on insoles and shoes. And I finally put your shoes on and I can finally go out and walk my dog for more than 10 minutes without stopping to sit down. That just gives me joy to know that, that all the suffering and the pain that I went through was for a reason. Yeah, it must be so rewarding. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just to see a product that actually works, you know, it's easy to advertise something if you have some marketing money, but it's to advertise a product that actually does help people and save lives. That brings me joy. So that people are what keeps me going. And I have a famous quote that anybody that knows me will tell you. I always say my goal in life is to see people healthy and happy. I love so that. that's it. That's, that's what's kept me going. I love that. Thank you. So a few more questions. Sure, sure. If you can go back in time and talk to your, I guess, yourself right when you started your business, what advice would you share? What would you tell yourself? <laughs> What would I ask myself? Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want to do this? Do you have everything? Do you have all your ducks in a row before you start this? Because like I said, when I, when I dove into it, I didn't really plan for what was going to happen to me. Um, like I said, I was in a relationship. I was in a two-year relationship prior to going to China, and that just went down the drain. You know, it was, it was a tough. It was tough. And what... Are, what is going to be a coping mechanism? A lot of people do not understand that when you are starting a business or if you're an entrepreneur, it is stressful. It is, it burns your energy. You have your depressing moments. If any entrepreneur tells you that they don't experience depression or, or some type of form of, you know, tiredness or burnout, it's going to be hard for me to believe that. A true entrepreneur will tell you, yes, you have those moments. So you have to find ways to cope with them. And it's very hard because you're constantly thinking, I got to answer this email. I got to fill this fulfillment. I got to track the board. I got to do this. You're constantly, I have to, I have to, have to, forgetting yourself. 
So what I typically try to do is I found ways and I have a spiritual advisor now that kind of helps me. We have like a conversation once every week and he's just like, take a breather, relax, go in the tub, you know, because these are things that you don't naturally think of doing yourself, but you, it's very important. Self-care is very, very important. Uh, so I try to make sure that I exercise at least three times a week. Um, I love to bike ride. That's one thing that I got caught up in. So I'm a huge avid like person that likes to ride a bike. I try to find some time just to meditate. Um, talk to my nephews and nieces because, you know, they're still young. So when I talk to them, it brings me joy just hearing them. The pandemic hasn't made it any easier because, you know, practicing social distance, making sure that everybody's being safe in their perspective environment has been very tough. But these are things that you have to have to be able to do as an entrepreneur because like i said it does take a toll on you it does and if you don't find a way to kind of regroup yourself or to kind of bring yourself together it can tear you apart so you have to have a strong support system i will absolutely tell you that a true entrepreneur a, a serious entrepreneur will be honest and tell you that you know you might have done the work single-handedly yourself but you had outside support system that was grounding you so it's very important that you have a support system and you take care of yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually. It all funnels in one. Good advice. Mm -hmm. So final question, is there anything else you want to share with an aspiring high school or college-aged entrepreneur? Um, to be honest, I'm just excited. Like the fact that at a young age, you know, high school students are starting to see that, you know, I don't have to meet the, the status quo of having to have the nine to five, a nine to five, a nine to five. You can start your own business, you know, and at a young age is very well because you have that time and energy to put into the business. And I will say for one, do some research, uh, read books. I, I, that's another thing that I, I'm into. I have this book right now with Suzanne Bates called Speaking Like a CEO, a uh, guerrilla marketing book. I have um, my favorite one was with Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence Other Others. That's a great book that I constantly just listen to on audio just for fun. And so read a lot, make yourself knowledgeable. You have to make yourself knowledgeable and you don't necessarily have to go and blast yourself with degrees and degrees and degrees. Because I'm gonna be completely honest with you. For the forums that I've done and spoken to a couple of college students, I told him I did my MBA. I probably use 5% of what I learned in MBA school, if, if that, because the real things you learn it in like as you go. Like I wasn't learning manufacturing and developing in my MBA class. You know, a lot of things I'm learning through, again, I watch a lot of, uh, um, a lot of podcasts, YouTube videos, the stuff that I didn't have access to before that you guys have access to now. So it's like, Take advantage of that. Sit back and ask yourself, what can I do or what do I love to do that I can do for the rest of my life and be content with and that can help others? Because you'll be amazed on what your mind can create. We all have our niche. We just have to find it. And once you find it, you will see that things will unlock on their own. It's like a, it's like a puzzle. Think of it this way. When you have a puzzle, you know what the puzzle is supposed to look like, but there's so many pieces that are there. The first piece you take and put it there might not fit. Okay, second piece might not fit, but eventually you're gonna go through all the pieces until that one piece that's supposed to fit, fits. And when it fits, the puzzle starts to come together slowly and surely. Patience. As entrepreneurs, the one thing you have to learn is patience. We have this mentality that if 
if I, I'll have this product, millions and millions of people are going to buy it. We're going to make money, evaluations, this, this, down the third. Be realistic with yourself, okay? It's a business. Think of a business like having a baby sister or having a child. When a child is born, it doesn't wake up and starts changing its own diaper and making its own milk and <laughs> putting itself to sleep. No, there's the parents that have to be there to raise the child. It's the same thing like a business. If you ever create a business and then the next day your business is booming and taking off, I would be super nervous. Mm -hmm. But if you go through the struggles, through the grit, think of all the huge entrepreneurs. Look at the Jeff Bezos. Look at them. See where they started Amazon. See where they started Apple in their garages. And see that the platform that they did was a grind from step to step to step. So be patient. Allow yourself to understand that this is something that is going to grow over time. And remember, you're, when you invest in a product, you're not investing in that product, you're investing in yourself. Yes. So for young entrepreneurs, know what you want to do. Step yourself back, write your ideas down, listen to people, read books, ask questions, do what you're doing right now. Because if I had that, I could tell you right now, I would, like I said, if I had access to talk to people at, at, a, at a high school level for entrepreneurship, I would have had these shoes launched out years ago. So as we speak now, you've probably been talking to me while I'm in my, G, my uh, G5 heading over to China or something. But again, lesson learned, lesson learned. Definitely just know yourself and keep a constant communication, have a good influences around you. I've lost a lot of friends since I started this business, people that I went to school with, you know, and that was a tough one on me too, because my father said that to me. He said, oh, you're going to lose a lot of friends because people have this mentality that changes like, oh, you're making millions now. I'm like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know why you think that, but everyone starts to treat you a little bit different and you have to be prepared for that because a lot of it has to do with jealousy. A lot of it has to do with, they don't know how to tell you, can you help me? and your friendship bracket changes. And you have to be okay with that, to be honest. It took me a while to be okay with that. If I'm taking my hard earned time and money to invest in my company and myself, know that whoever's gonna be around my circle has to either be heading in that same direction of success. I'm not, I'm not okay doing a nine to five. I respect those that do a nine to five, but I know that the conversation I have with you business-wise can only go to a certain level. Why? Because I'm no longer thinking in the bracket of a nine to five person. And you have to be okay with that. So my conversations that I used to have with friends asked to stop at a certain point, because as soon as I talk about long-term 10-year plan, IPOs, they're no longer in that picture. They don't understand what, what, what I'm talking about anymore. So that conversation stops. You will lose friends. That's fine. You will lose relationships. That's fine. You have to know what the end goal is. So I tell people, this is not, it's not meant for everyone. However, everyone has the potential and the capacity to be entrepreneurs. Yep, and be true to yourself. That's the last thing I can always add. Be true to yourself. Sit down and ask yourself, can I do this? Do I want to do this? Because like you said, what could I ask myself before? That's a great question. Because if I had asked myself those questions, I probably could have saved my relationship by having a conversation and saying, hey, I don't know how long this is going to take. But the fact that I'm already in China, you think I'm coming back in three weeks. Now it's a month, two months, three months, four months, a year. Ooh, that was tough. That concludes our interview.
Be sure to check out www.learnthestartup.com for more interviews. Thank you.